The lights are low and the kids are in bed It's time to rethink all those rules stuck in your head And disobey It's Edgy Wednesday Welcome to Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I'm Liren. Well, it has been an age since I did an edgy Wednesday. That much is certain. <laughs> so um, this edgy Wednesday is actually inspired by episode, uh, an episode of Random Screed that Jason Hobbs published on January 29th called What's Love? So in it, he talks about uh, like... Is there a difference between loving and being in love? Can you fall out of love with people? He talks about watching Marriage Story and October Faction. Um, how are you perceiving the actions of the people who love you? Um, weighing the pros and cons of being in a relationship. You know, is it just strong affection or are you in love? So, and he says it's controllable. So, um... I would encourage you to go listen to that episode. I'm so I'm not going to respond to a lot of what he said. I'm just it really made me stop and think about, oh yeah, like what is the definition of loving someone? You know? I I mean, and it has had me thinking a lot. And I'll tell you why. There's been a lot of pressure here in our household because we're getting a new house built, but the house we live in now is pretty decrepit and I'm just so sick of living in it, you know? So, so I posted on Monday that they came and put in some gravel and it was really exciting. And, and it, it kind of, I was really excited that day, but I wasn't feeling good at all. And that night when I went to bed, I was thinking about it and I thought, oh, the excitement's already gone. What's that about? And I think it, was the reality check of, oh, okay, great. But I still have at least two months of living in this house before we're anywhere near moving into that house. And so, you know, there's, I think anytime you get a new house, even buy a new house, let alone have one built, you know, on your property, it's just a stressful situation. So it has caused some just, um, uh, reaction, like reactionary behavior on everyone's part. My part, Uh, my husband's part, my son's part, my youngest son who still lives with us, you know, so, and not that it's all bad or anything. And I'm really happy we're doing it, of course. But, but it's funny, because I listened to this episode of Random Screed, right around when it came out, if not right, it might have been the day it came out. I'm not sure what day of the week that was. But every once in a while, I can steal little windows of time, and I'll go to favorites, and I'll look and if I only have a short time, I'll just look at uh, the first one that has a new episode and listen to the latest episode because I have just finally given up on the illusion that I'm ever going to catch up on back episodes. So I've it was an instance like that where I listened to this episode. So it was really interesting to me because it hit me at a time when things were kind of jacked up a little bit, you know, and then... I really have been thinking about it since then. And then now, see, yesterday, my head was kind of back in the game a little bit after being such a space cadet. And it really 
still I was churning on that. And then I was churning on, oh, yeah, we're going to have to be really careful because everybody's jacked up and reactive because of the new house. So anyway, let me begin just by saying I watched Marriage Story, the one with um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. I enjoyed it. And I found myself thinking about the fact that I think it's a really good story about just how skewed the definition of loving someone can get. I mean, in that show, you can tell that they love each other. You can tell that he loves her, even though he really cannot get out of his own way to see her as his equal or as capable of of being equal to him in in creativity or status or you know i i found that a very interesting show it made me think a lot about dysfunctional relationships that have been a part of my life uh dysfunctional relationships of some of my close friends throughout my life and and how often a big part of the problem is looking at the person that you're with and not caring who they are, really only caring what you see. Because often, I mean, if you think about it, we're all looking at things through our own filters of beauty or usefulness or utility or I mean I hate to say it like that you know people don't like to think about the fact that they think about it that way but let's face facts if we're honest with each other there is an aspect of all of that to staying in a relationship with anyone long term you know so uh, I found that show interesting I also watched the first couple episodes of October Faction Uh, I can't remember how many I watched I want to say four maybe and I don't know, maybe it gets worse later, but I, Jason said something that was really interesting to me and that he said that there are some messages in it that are kind of heavy handed, but he agrees with them. So it doesn't bother him. And whenever I hear someone say something like that about something like misogyny, which is something that I personally have experienced as a woman, I think to myself, only a white or only a male could say that about misogyny. So so I wonder if other people, uh, people of other races feel that way about white people talking about racism. You know what I mean? I mean, I wonder if my own views of racism, I am well aware of the fact that I cannot see the world through the eyes of someone who is a different race than I am, and that I am really entitled because I'm white. So I don't know if I've mentioned before that I went to a workshop with a a lady who talked a lot about entitlements and how we carry around this backpack full of entitlements that we get as a just because of the way we're born into the world of what's in it. And so many people carry it around with absolutely no awareness that they possess it. And, and uh, I I found that talk incredibly interesting. I'm going to have to dig around and see if I can find my notes on it, because I would love to do an episode just on that, because that was a fascinating talk that made me think a lot about things. So I will dig around and see if I can find my notes. But I just I had a really immediate reaction when Jason said that, because I also had just listened to Andy Goodman's um, latest episode called uh, racism and gaming or racism in gaming. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I 
I didn't write that down. I should have. I actually took notes for this episode, guys. Like, that is not a thing I don't do very often. So I've really been thinking about this a lot. So um, first of all, I think that love, where do my perceptions of what love has come from? So I think we grow up in family units and so much of what we experience as love comes from the environment we grow up in. I honestly believe that to be true. I think that I grew up in an environment where my parents, uh, I never thought they liked each other. Uh, they weren't affectionate to each other. Uh, my mother was uh, often kind of um, disparaging of my dad, and it just got worse and worse as I got older. And at this point, you know, I, they're crazy as bed bugs. I mean, trust me. <laughs> and and they really, if you, I cannot believe the way they talk about each other, and they still live together. It's insane, insane. I mean, talk about two people who do something they don't enjoy just because it's familiar. I, I, it's crazy to me. But anyways, but I had grandparents, my mother's parents, who loved each other so much and they were playful with each other and they would get mad at each other, but they weren't mean to each other. They would give each other the silent treatment because they wouldn't fight in front of us. But even having conversations with my grandpa now, they they didn't they were never mean to each other. They didn't call each other names. They weren't screaming at each other kind of people. And my grandma was a pretty passionate person. And I called her Nana. And and she could be, she could get really strident about things, but she was never mean. It was, it was so interesting to me because I remember it was so striking to me because the first place that my nuclear family went was mean. I mean, to this day. It is not remotely unusual for me to be Skyping with my parents and my granddaughter, which is really the only way I converse with them, unless if I can help it. <laughs> and uh, if my granddaughter leaves the room, it is not at all unusual for my mom to snipe at me. And it's so predictable. I mean, it's like a joke in our family now. But but do you know that even though I know it, it's coming? It's a joke. I understand what it is. It still hurts. It's so strange to me. Like, how does something like that still hurt me? Well, partially because she's, hello, my mother. You know, it's it's fascinating to me. And, and that makes me think about human nature so much because I'm telling you, I've been through years of therapy I, I, and on and off throughout my life, I've been in and out of therapy. And I know I've mentioned that a ton of times on here. And in all of that therapy, I I remember the day, I actually remember the day, I think it was like, I want to say in my 30s. It was after Jeff and I were married. Uh, it was, was it after my youngest son was born? I'm not sure. Anyways, I was in my mid 30s, I think. And I had the realization that that is never going to go away. That there isn't any fixing that. There isn't any fixing. I will always wish my mom loved me. And I, I cannot tell you how angry I was about that. I can still remember that burning intensity of the anger that I was never going to be able to remove that stab of pain that she causes me every time she digs at me because there is this core inside of me that wants her to love me. It's, I, I don't know. It's interesting because my brother has cut them out of his life and his kids' lives. And I'm so jealous of that sometimes. But at the same time, 
I don't, it's funny. I don't judge him for doing that. I really don't. I mean, it's his choice. It's his family. And I fully support him making the choice that he needs to make for his family. I think his kids are better off for it. I'll tell you that. But on the other hand, I can't do it. It's, I just, I don't know. I can't do it. Maybe I'm just not wired that way. I don't know. I know some people would say it's because I'm a girl. I, you know, who knows? I don't know. Is that true? I, I honestly don't know. I don't. Uh, I know that I had a very interesting conversation with a friend online. Uh, just, gosh, was it um, Monday? I want to say it was Monday, just a couple days ago. And he said something really interesting about the fact that in our society, boys are strongly encouraged not to express emotions, not to share when they're experiencing emotions, that there's a very narrow band of emotions that men are allowed to express, but that women are, are kind of get a skewed message as well. It's just a different kind of message, like, like kind of almost like being really sensitive and being taking it to the point of reactivity, not just sensitivity. And having really strong emotional reactions is perfectly acceptable and almost encouraged. And you know, I when when I read that, I read it. And my knee jerk reaction to that is, was, I mean, at the time, was like, well, hold on. And then I thought about it. And I went, no, you know, he's actually right. If you think about it, and you look at now realize, I am an American I am not, I have not traveled the world. I think I've been in Canada twice in my life, maybe three times, but I think twice. Nope, three times. <laughs> Once was a school trip in eighth grade. And so I I honestly don't know much at all, except for listening to you guys and, you know, the experiences that I've had online talking to people from other countries. But so when I talk about this stuff, realize that I say all of this through my own personal filters of being... Uh, an American who grew up upper middle class. My dad was an engineer at GM, so we were not poor, you know. Um, we were, I I only wish that being upper middle class meant that we were not dysfunctional. <laughs> you know what I mean? And And so I frequently tell my youngest son, you need to remember that everyone has their own stuff they're carrying around and you don't know what it is and if you ever find out what it is, that is a privilege that they shared it with you. So we talk about that a lot, actually, because he can internalize things a lot and he can take things very personal. And I go, whoa, whoa, back up the truck. That could well have had nothing to do with you whatsoever. So there's these two girls that we used to be really good friends with their family. And actually, their family is the one who gave me my sweet and beloved little Rosie, my pug. And I was so grateful to them. And we used to go over to their house and play games and we had so much fun. And all of a sudden, all at once, everything just stopped. And I don't know if something happened, if we did something. I, I don't I don't know what happened. I really don't. They used to invite my son to um, teen game day things that they did. And he had a great time. They seemed to really like him. They participated in some um, workshops that Jeff taught for homeschoolers. That's how we met them. And then, I mean, literally one day it just stopped. We had had a great time our previous visit. I emailed to say something about some cute thing that Rosie had done and got no response. And that had not been the case previously. And 
all of a sudden, I never got another email response. And it was so bizarre. And my son had the same experience. All of a sudden, they just disappeared out of our world. And I don't know if it was because my husband wasn't teaching any workshops or what, but I mean, he hadn't taught a workshop in a while. So we stayed friends, gosh, probably six, nine months after the last workshop he taught. So I, I, I don't know. I will never know. That's what I have figured out. One day, uh, probably a year and a half after that, Jeff and I were sitting in a Subway restaurant having lunch and we saw the parents walk by outside the window and I was like, oh my gosh, that's them. And he was like, well, why don't you go say hi? And I said, they don't, she doesn't respond to emails. If they wanted to talk to me, she would respond to emails. And he was like, maybe you're just being sens- oversensitive and maybe you should just go say hi because you want to go say hi. And I thought, okay. So I got up and I walked out there and I went and said hi. And both of them acted kind of weird. They were kind of artificially cheery. And I asked, you know, how their summer was going. And they told us that their neighbor was letting them use their boat and that we should come and go on the pontoon because Ben would probably love that. And I was like, oh, that would be great. You know, uh, you can always email me. We're happy to do that. Never heard from them again. And I reached out one time just to say it was really nice to see you. No response. You know, I can take a hint at some point. (laughs) And but the thing is, I will never know why that happened. And so that's a good example of something that I, I, I don't I to this day don't know why that happened. And I honestly believe I never will know why that happened. The problem is those two girls go to the college my son is at, the community college. And so he sees them and they look right through him. They don't speak to him. And one day when we were driving in, uh, one of the, the oldest daughter was walking by and I had the window down and I saw her and I didn't even think. I just said, oh my gosh, hi, how are you? And she turned around and she looked at me and I honestly think if there was any way she could have, she just would have turned around and walked away. But she didn't. She said hi and she was kind of friendly, but she talked really fast and her voice was higher than usual. And and I told her how great Rosie is and, you know, how wonderful it was to have her. And then I was like, okay, well, it's great to see you. And she's like, yeah, bye, and turns around and walks off. And my son said that he sees her and her sister and that they walked right next to him the other way down the hall uh, yesterday. And neither one of them looked at him. They literally would not even make eye contact with him. And it is the weirdest thing. I have to tell you, when stuff like that happens, you just go, what the heck happened here? You know, I don't know. That's when I realized that, I mean, it is just human nature to be somewhat insecure about things, I think. And I think it's interesting because I think some of the points that Hobbes made when he was talking about love I found myself thinking, I wonder so much how much of what happens in love relationships in humans is just about insecurity and fear, you know? And it's not like I think that you can just be blind and have open faith and never think twice about things people do or anything like that. I'm not implying anything like that. I'm just saying that it is really interesting to me when people, for instance, the whole love or in love thing. So maybe this is because I am a pagan, polyamorous, kinky, bisexual person. I don't know. 
I, maybe it has nothing to do with any of those things. I don't know why, but that whole concept is so weird to me. So, so I think an interesting thing about how I feel about love is that I just don't think love is about ownership. So I see so many relationships that are about ownership and, and I think so much fear and insecurity feeds that or, or else or else the any shaking of one's sense of owning the other person, especially sexually, makes someone fearful and insecure. And it's interesting to me because I just, I don't understand it. I mean, I don't feel that, you know, it's a weird thing. So I've been in polyamorous relationships in my lifetime and, and I just don't, don't feel that. I, I I think I talked about one of my lovers was like 21 years older than me and his wife was terminally ill. And it wasn't like something that was going to be fast acting. I want to say she lived for, gosh, I think she lived for probably 10 years after I knew him, after we met. And she knew that he and I were hanging out and, and because I told him, I will not. First of all, I'm happy to be your friend. I'm happy to listen. I know it's hard. I get it. But absolutely nothing beyond flat friendship will happen without her knowledge because I do not aid cheaters. So if you're cheating, I am not your agent. (laughs) I am not an agent of that. And so I went, I would go over to their house and we never openly talked about it, the three of us, but she was always friendly to me and she knew, she knew what we were doing. So I don't know, you know, I, and, and I didn't feel any sense of, of jealousy when he would say, like, I can't spend time with you today because I'm doing something with her family or she's not feeling well or anything to do with her. I would just be like, oh, his first allegiances to her. I get it. I knew it when I walked into this and I really didn't feel jealous. It's a fascinating thing. I'll tell you, I have been in one relationship with a person who I found out had uh, multiple personalities, which I think is now called dissociative disorder or something like that. And that was a very strange relationship. uh, When I learned of the fact that the dissociative disorder was a thing, because I did not know that until gosh, probably, I think it was probably eight or nine months into the relationship with him. And I had known him for at least two years before we were even in a relationship, actually. But anyways, um, so that I did experience some times when I just flat felt like I could not trust him. But I don't I didn't experience feelings of not being able to trust him as, as like, I don't know. It didn't feel like jealousy, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe that's my form of jealousy. I don't know, but it turned out I was absolutely right. I couldn't trust him because, uh, he had an interesting, that that was a very interesting psychological study of a human. Let me tell you anyways. Um, so I think one of the interesting things about the way I view love is that it's something you have to do all the time. It's not a static state. So 
One of the biggest problems I have with the media in this country is the whole story that starts with the damsels in distress and ends with she found the man of her dreams so they lived happily ever after. I mean, if I could rip any memory of watching any of that out of my granddaughter's head, I would do it. I think that feeds such a horrible, horrible message to children. I really do. I really do. I mean, it's one thing to present something and say, you know, this is a parable of, uh, um, or, you know, something like that. But, but as an adult, you can discern those things. Like you can watch something and discern, oh, okay, well, there's not really going to be a guy running around in the woods with a chainsaw in Texas who's just going to chop people up, you know? Um, but so I, it just, that's one of the things I despise about some of the Disney movies. I mean, they just make me sick. I'm like, what are you doing? Because I mean, what messages are they teaching the boys who watch those, let alone the girls? I mean, anyway, oh my gosh, see, I can get ranting about that. I got off my point. I, I'm going to do that a lot, I fear. <laughs> I, I think that if you're going to love someone, then sometimes they're going to do something that really royally pisses you off and, and, or they're going to do something that really deeply hurts your feelings, or they're going to do something that you really find yourself going, oh my God, I didn't even know they were capable of doing something like that, you know? And I mean, I'm not even talking about something extreme, I mean, something like, like maybe they get lost in their own mental state of, of, um, anxiety or something. I, I, that's an example I can think of that would cause this. And something happens that long-term affects the physical environment of their loved one or loved ones. And, they just can't see it as it's happening because their anxiety is so loud over top of their love for their family, you know? And, and it's, I have to say that I've actually had that experience and it's really hard as the person who's on the receiving end of that to be understanding about it because it's really hard to recognize it for what it is. And it's really hard not to be able to say, whoa, 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 hold on. I, I feel like like anxiety is in the way, or I feel like, you know, I've tried at the time many different ways of saying, I feel like your anxiety is leading you to treat your family in a way that I don't think is a loving way to treat people. And that person just couldn't hear it because of the anxiety stuff, you know? And so it gets really hard. Please don't hear me as saying any of that is easy. It's not. I mean, you know, people are complex. People are ever changing. People are moody. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, it, it's a funny thing because I actually, <laughs> I was going to, uh, one of the things I want to talk about is this guy named Elaine de Bolton, who I know I've mentioned before on this podcast, but it's been a long time ago. And he, I saw, I want to say it was a TED talk of his, but it may have just been a, a lecture he gave. He created something called the School of Life because he said that people who aren't uh, religious 
can struggle to have community to learn some of the lessons that you really can only learn in community. And so he created the school of life for people who don't have like a core community to get those lessons and participate in something. And I have to tell you, I find the content of it fascinating. But one of the funny things I heard him say once was that the truth of the matter is the cruelest thing we do is marry a person that we love. Because if we love them, why would we force them to be around the worst parts of ourselves? And I have to say, when he said that, I I really just kind of stopped. I remember I paused the video. It was on a computer. I, I remember where I was sitting, as a matter of fact. And I thought, whoa, like he just said something that's really important. Let me listen to that again. <laughs> and I thought to myself, yeah, you know, I, I, how much time do I spend having any empathy for my partner having to deal with my BS? You know what I mean? Like, I am a very emotional person. And for example, when one of our animals dies, often what happens with me is, uh, here's a good example of this. The last animal we lost was my husband's dog. And she reached, I think I podcasted about this too, but in case you didn't hear it, she reached the point where uh, she had severe hip dysplasia. She was 11 or 12 years old. She was very arthritic. She was on pain medication. We had upped the dose more than once. We were to the point where for her to be comfortable, she was going to have to be on so much medication that she wasn't her anymore. And when it reached that point, I said, I really think it's time. And, you know, she was my husband's dog. And he said, I think I'm going to need you to tell me when it's time because I love her so much. I'm really going to have a hard time letting go of her. And I said, I'm happy to do that for you as long as you don't hate me for it, because I understand what you're saying and it's your decision. And even if I say, okay, I think if we give her any more drugs that she's not going to be in there anymore, you're, we're going to be holding on to her for us. And I did say we, I almost said you're right there, but I really did say we, because it's really hard to let them go when you know that if you just gave them a little more, they could live a little longer, you know? And when we did that, I knew it was right. I believe to this second, it was the right thing to do. And yet we go to the vet. He gives her the injection. I see her die. I sob. I just sobbed. I went out and sat in the car and sobbed. Because I, when that happens, it's like I have these big emotional reactions. It's pretty intense. It's not very short, uh, long-lived. Uh, and then after that, I'll have waves, waves of sadness. But it's almost like I process stuff like that in great big chunks. I don't. That's the only way I know to describe it. They're often fairly immediate. It's not like I can't hold it off if I need to, because I can tell you that from having. Um, like put animals to sleep in front of people, like in front of my kids when they were really small or whatever. But I have to tell you that I don't hide my sadness from my children when we lose a pet because I talk through what I'm feeling with them because I think it just cripples children not to let them experience loss before it's a person that's been in their life for years that they dearly love that's suddenly gone. I think that is one of the wonderful, wonderful things about having pets in your life. And 
I mean, especially for children. I know that when I was growing up, it taught me a lot. I was so happy I lost animals before I lost people because I understood kind of the process of it. And I understood that they weren't coming back before it was someone that it just ripped my heart out that to, to realize they weren't coming back. You know what I mean? I feel like on some level that sounds callous and I don't mean to be, but, but you know, that's a part of love too, isn't it? Because I loved, loved my husband's dog, but I couldn't watch her suffer anymore. And part of me said, loving her is letting her go at that point, you know? And so anyways, see, that was another tangent. (laughs) Anyways, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Alain de Botton's, like some of his quotes and some of his thoughts about love. Because I, I find the way he thinks about it really interesting and refreshing. So I actually looked up a couple of quotes from him that I find really interesting. And um, I'm going to go ahead and read a, a couple of them. Uh, a couple of them are kind of long, but I'll try to stick with some of the short ones too. So um, he's written a couple of books, but one of the books that he's written is called On Love. And I have to tell you, it is just wonderful. If you care about this kind of stuff at all, and if you want to read something that's that's about a really interesting take on love between humans, that is really a wonderful book. Uh, so one of his quotes is, every fall into love involves the triumph of hope over self-knowledge. We fall in love hoping we won't find in another what we know is in ourselves. All the cowardice, weakness, laziness, dishonesty, compromise, and stupidity. We throw a cordon of love around the chosen one and decide that everything within it will somehow be free of our faults. We locate inside another a perfection that eludes us within ourselves. And though our union with the beloved hope to maintain, against the evidence of all self-knowledge, in quotations, a precarious faith in our species. I, you know, I just, some of the stuff he says, I'm going to read you a couple more. Just, you'll get some idea of where his head is at about this. Perhaps it is true that we do not really exist until there is someone there to see us existing. We cannot properly speak until there is someone who can understand what we are saying in essence. We are not wholly alive until we are loved. Another one. We are all more intelligent than we are capable and awareness of the insanity of love has never saved anyone from the disease. I just, I don't know. I think the way he thinks about this and the funny thing is, realize he is not saying love is a bad thing at all. What he's, his entire point really is, if we really understand what it is to love someone else, it is a deep and meaningful thing. It's also a constant work in progress. So it's a verb. Love is a verb. I mean, so what, I think that's why sometimes when I hear the argument about, well, do I love them or am I in love with them? I'm like, yeah, that isn't a thing for me. I mean, I hear that and I just go, wow, really? Like, and I say that I had a friend when I was in college who used to always like be, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And in the, you know, three years I knew her, she went through three different guys who were really nice. And I, you know, I didn't know them really well, but I thought, holy cow, I don't know if she is ever going to meet anybody because she just kept being like, well, I love him, but I don't think I'm in love with him. And then she'd move on to the next one, you know? So I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like talk about an interesting 
outfit of clothing to wrap your own fears and insecurities about commitment in. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, wow, I could like do a whole podcast on commitment too. Woo, that's a deep one. Anyways, another person I find very interesting on the subject of love is a therapist named Esther Perel. It's spelled like Esther, but she is not uh, American. I I want to say she's Belgian, but I absolutely could be wrong about that. Uh, she's a really interesting person. I think I've mentioned her before too, as a matter of fact. She has a couple really good TED Talks. Oh yeah, I know I have because I think I talked about one of her TED Talks. And she has a book called Mating in Captivity that is amazing. And uh, um, one of the things she talks about is how it's really interesting that the concept of loving the person you're married to is really new to humanity. If you think about the way that marriage worked in the past, it wasn't about love. That's a fairly new thing, like pretty darn new and shiny, evolutionarily speaking, for sure. So so it's really interesting to hear her talk about how people... Um, behave around love and how it has changed. And and I'll tell you one of the things she said that really stuck with me. She said, it used to be that people divorced because they were unhappy. Now people divorce because they think they could be happier with someone else. And I, when she said that, that was another thing that was like that Elaine de Botton quote, uh, quote, where I stopped it and I thought, whoa, whoa, hold on. What? And I thought about it and I went, oh, like, that's actually a pretty interesting thought. And and I actually think she's right. I do. At least in the U.S. I, like I said, realize I am woefully American and, and ignorant of other cultures beyond, you know, a surface knowledge. So I don't know. I've been just been thinking a lot about that. I've been thinking a lot about what the verb love is in really stressful situations because we're in one and it's about to get more stressful and I feel it coming. And it's funny because I don't know that it's going to get a whole lot more stressful for me, but I can tell you that living in a house with people with anxiety, I know for a fact it's going to get more stressful for them because it's stressful for them to even have other people on our property unexpectedly. And these crews just show up like Monday, they just showed up. I looked out and there's a truck with a trailer with a bobcat on it. And I'm like, uh, oh, I guess they've showed up to do the driveway. So, you know, I have to say, it's not like I don't go, whoa, who's in my yard, you know, but I don't, I, I, I don't think I experience anxiety, especially talking to my son about the experience he has of it. I know I don't experience what he does. And, and so I know things are going to get worse before they get better And so I just, you know, first of all, thank you, Hobbs, for bringing that up at a time when it's something that I really needed to be thinking about, I feel like. And I appreciate the fact that you brought it up because it's not something that we directly talk about very much. And, and I think we need to, like, I, sometimes I think that relationships would benefit so much from some gritty, you know, uh, down to earth, uh, um, uh, non bullshitting straight talk about what's going on inside of me about you and what's going on inside of you about me. I mean, to me, 
being able to have a really deep discussion about something that is potentially painful, about something that is deeply personal, those are the things that make me feel loved by someone. When I can talk about those things with them and they don't run away scared and they don't look at me and go, oh, okay, no, 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 no thanks. And they don't um, discount what I have to say. So it's it's interesting to stop and think, what is love to me? And, and an even more interesting question that I would posit is, what makes me feel loved? So I know I've talked about love languages and all that, but but I really didn't realize how much it made me feel loved to be able to have deep conversations with my partner until my partner got really deeply depressed and just wasn't capable of having those conversations with me. And I knew it. I knew why. It was because of a devastating loss. I knew that. I was, I understood it. I was good with it. I, I didn't feel any animosity or resentment or I was just like, I absolutely know this is devastating. I need to be supportive and loving and give this person their space to, to work through that devastation and stand there quietly to, for them to reach out to when they want to and stay out of the way when they don't need me there. And even that is probably when I figured out just how much I need to have that, that kind of conversation when I'm feeling really bereft or when I'm feeling really dis, I want, I want to say the word disconnected, but disconnected is a weird word to me because like, you know, the person's inches from me and, and I mean, it is a form of disconnection. That's true. It is. But I, I guess more to the point, I would say an emotional disconnection, you know? So anyways, wow. I've gone on about this for 40 minutes. How have I managed to go on about this for 40 minutes? That's insanity. (laughs) You know, if you've stuck with me, you deserve some kind of award. Let me just say, let me just say. So, you know, it wasn't edgy, but it was straight talk and it might be stuff that you don't want to listen to with your kids or whatever. So that's, you know, how it ended up on Edgy Wednesday. As spring comes, I guarantee you Wednesdays will get edgy again because I am a cyclical creature and spring always has that effect on me. So never fear, edgy Wednesdays will return. But for this edgy Wednesday, I really just wanted to talk about something that's really been on my mind. And I appreciate you listening. Really, if you got to the end, thank you so much. I would absolutely love to hear people's thoughts on this. You please let me know if you want it shared or not, because really, I am happy to have a conversation with people, even if you don't want it shared, even if you're like, well, this is really deeply personal. So don't publish this or whatever. I, you know, I'm happy to not publish. For me, like I said, it it is partially about, I, th- I really believe that we would benefit deeply as a society if we talked much more directly about things that are taboos. So I guess that's really, isn't that really what Edgy Wednesday is all about? Like talking about things that are taboos, even if they're not on the list of taboos, if you Google the word taboo. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that is the very spirit of Edgy Wednesday anyway. So anyways, okay, I'm going to stop now. I still absolutely owe an episode of thank you about my birthday wishes, and I promise it is coming 
Today is the first day that I have really felt myself again. Uh, uh, I will do that soon. I promise. I may even do that tomorrow, as a matter of fact, because I really need to do that because, oh my gosh, I love you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for being the wonderful, loving, supportive community that you are. And I hope this has been helpful. I hope you haven't gotten to the end of this and gone, oh my God, really? (laughs) But for what it's worth, thank you for sticking with me and I'll be back soon. Thank you.